Greetings in Jesus' name. I am Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, uh, The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. Uh, in the last lesson, we talked about the uh, what Job did to deal with his problem or his concern. Job 31, the word, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Uh so let's talk about the negative results of looking with lust upon a woman. Uh, the following verses are just a few scriptural examples of the negative results of allowing, eye, allowing our eyes to be unrestrained and roving or prowling without a binding covenant to restrain them. At 73 and a half, much pain, I have observed much pain, heartache, and shame that have resulted from undisciplined eyes and the doors to sin that they've opened in even the greatest of believers. Uh, so let's look at the scriptures. The first time that women, men looking at women lustfully was uh, mentioned is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, I don't know why, but I don't remember any place where the scripture actually talks about Adam uh, lusting after his wife or desiring his wife. I'm sure there was desire there. They had children. Uh, but it doesn't name it, especially in a negative context. So the first time that is, is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, I'd like to, I'd like to just give a brief background here without going into great depth because there is a lot to say here. Uh, so, who are the sons of God? Who are the daughters of men? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because God said to Eve that He would greatly, after her sin, along with Adam, He would greatly multiply her sorrow in conception. Uh, if she had not had children in the garden, then what God said would have been irrelevant. It would have, been, it would have had no meaning. Because any finite number multiplied by zero is zero. So you can't multiply her sorrow in conception if she's never been conceived. And all of that followed through to the place of birth. We have no idea how long, I have no idea how long, Adam and Eve were in the garden before they sinned. I don't know. But in order for sin to enter into the world by one man's sin, as Paul says in Romans, then Adam would have to be the uh, father of all living humans, and Eve would have to be their mother. Now, it... Is, I don't want to get off on some tangent here, but when God named them, God named them Adam, named them Adam. You can find that in Genesis 2. God named them Adam. The name Eve was not given to the woman until after the sin. At the end of chapter 3, when after God spoke his judgment upon the man, the woman, and the serpent, Adam named her Eve, 
because she was the mother of all living. So if she hadn't had any children, she never had, she couldn't be the mother of all living. And she also could not have had conception and the sorrow that it brought in the delivery of a child. And so that being the case, the Bible says that there are in the book of Romans that there were those who did, had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. That means there were people in the garden that did not eat of the fruit. Only Adam and Eve ate the fruit. But because they were the offspring in Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, all of them were expelled from the garden also. Those were the sons of God. Now, after they, after they left the garden, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. And as we know, without getting into the depths of it, Cain killed Abel. And God put a curse upon Abel, upon Cain. And uh, he went, around, went about through the earth. And I don't know where his wife came from, but in a sinful condition, he birthed him and the, his wife had children. And uh, over a course of time, these became the sons of men. And when, after some period of time, and I don't know how long it was from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Genesis chapter 5, but it was many, 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 many years. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, from the beginning, God created Eve and made her for Adam and put the two of them together. I have to believe that in the garden, God also was involved in every man and woman that came together in the garden. I have to believe that. Well, if that's the case, then it was not the will of God for the sons of God to marry the daughters of men. And it's not the will of God today for believers to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But where does that temptation come from? Where does it come from? The eye. They, the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And because of what they saw, they compromised what they had been taught and as we, if we would continue to read, which I'm not going to do in this setting, uh, if we continue to read Genesis 6, we find out God eventually destroyed the world with a flood because when they, when they took them wives and began to intermarry, the whole human race began to go down until every imagination of their thought, of their, of their hearts was only evil continually. Now, what is imagination? Imagination is mental imagery. Whether it is a mental still picture or a mental, what we would call today, a movie or video, uh, a fantasy most of the time has some kind of action to it. But it's mental. It's a mental image. And so 
the imaginations, there it was only evil continually. And so God called Noah and he destroyed the world with a flood. So this, this looking of the, daughter, the sons of God started the downward spiral that ended in God destroying the world by a flood because soon imaginations of the thought of every heart was only evil continually. Wow. Wow. And it all started with a look. It all started with a look. And then, and then of course we know that, uh, after the flood, God told them to disperse through the world and repopulate the earth. They didn't, they all stayed together. They began to multiply there's some period of time, God gave them a long period of time there to see what they were going to do to give them a chance to demonstrate their choices, whether or not to believe him and obey him or not. And then when they didn't, they decided to build a tower that would reach to the sky that would allow them to spare themselves in case God ever decided to destroy the world with a flood again, I'm assuming. And so uh, he came down and scattered them because, again, of their imaginations. He said, if we don't scatter them, there's nothing that they can imagine to do that will be restrained for them. Again, mental images looking. That mental image of a tower that can make us immune to the judgments of God led to the building of the tower and caused God to confuse the languages because of that. So, wow. Wow. <laughs> Two major situations connected with that period of time. Sons of God lusting after the daughters of men, marrying them, and the whole human race getting to the point that there wasn't but one man in his family who would believe the word of God so that they wouldn't have to be destroyed. You can't tell me it was the will of God that only eight people be saved. But that was the, and Noah was a preacher of righteousness for, 125 years while he was building the ark and nobody believed what he preached for that 125 years. But so only those that believed the word of God got in the ark and everybody else was destroyed. That's how bad off they were. That's how bad off they were. And then after that, they let their mental imagery seize upon the idea that they were going to build a tower. So whether it was seeing with the natural eye or seeing with the mental eye, there was no discipline there in either one of them, and it resulted in two major judgments of God, the whole world being destroyed by a flood, and then when the world began to be repopulated, at least in one location, it resulted in them being scattered in all these different languages that we struggle to understand each other with today. That was the result of it. So let's go from that to another situation of what the effect is of looking on a woman to lust after her. Even David, this is just mind-boggling to me. God said of David, he was a man after my own heart. But even David, a man after God's own heart, was not immune from the effects of unrestrained eyes. Now very briefly, very, very briefly, I'm reading quickly. Uh, and it came to pass, this is Second Samuel 11, verse 1. 
came to pass after the year was expired at that time that when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, when you read earlier in 2 Samuel, you'll find the reason David stayed in Jerusalem is because his generals said, you are the light of Israel. If you come out to this battle and, and uh, an inadvertent arrow from some place flies through the air and hits you and kills you, the light of Israel would go out. So let us go fight this battle ourselves and you stay home and protect the light of Israel. But David was a warrior. David was a warrior. And uh, that was not the place for him to be. When warfare is going on, spiritual people are involved in it. They're in prayer. They're fighting that battle. For us, that's what a warrior does. Back then, he should have been on the front lines. But he wasn't. So, verse 2, And it came to pass in an even tide, evening tide that David arose from off his bed. So he'd been laying around in the daytime on his bed. He was bored to death, obviously, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Uh, and David sent and inquired after the woman and said, and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam and the wife, uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her and she came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house. Now, I don't know. This is all supposition on my part. I can't imagine a man after God's own heart falling with one single look. Uh, I don't know how long it had been that David was home and everybody else was all fighting. Uh, I don't believe this is the only time she bathed on the roof. I don't believe that. Uh, I, if David could see her from his house, she couldn't see the king's roof from her house. I don't believe there was an innocent party in this. Because if her if if her heart was right, she would have refused to have gone. So both parties were guilty here. So I've got to believe that both parties kind of worked through this. Okay. So in the the implication of scripture that David didn't know who she was, as beautiful as she was, and she's living within eyesight of his rooftop. No, I, I believe that uh, this was a process he went through to try to hide his sin, and we know he was trying to hide his sin, not only now, but when she became pregnant. He tried to hide his sin. So here's a man after God's own heart, that God chose to be king of Israel, and God promised this king that, the throne of David in Jerusalem would last forever and that the Lord Jesus Christ himself would sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem and rule over the earth for a thousand years. Now, that's not just anybody, you see. I don't know anybody else. No human's ever lived that was given those kind of promises of God. This man pleased God to this degree. He was a man after God's heart. I mean, God came out in fellowship with him on the hillsides when he was nothing but a shepherd boy of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah can't go into the tabernacle, and they certainly can't go into the holiest of all. 
And so only the Levites could go inside those outer walls and only the priests could go into the holy place and only the high priest once a year could go into the holiest of all, into the presence of God. And yet David fellowship with the presence of God on a hillside because he hungered for God that much. He wanted to know God. Psalms 42, as a heart panteth after the water broke, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. When, when shall I come and stand before the living God? And I, Previous lesson, Psalm 63, verse 1, as, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and a thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory. So I have seen thee in the sanctuary. This is the man, this man. This is the man that didn't go to war, that's standing on a rooftop, that sees a woman bathing, who has numerous wives and a whole lot of concubines. And instead of going to one of them, because it's better to marry the, uh, to, to burn in marriage than it is to burn outside of marriage, uh, I mean, at the very least, he could have done that. And at least uh, had an opportunity to deal with something without bringing all kind of judgment on his own head and his family and everybody else. But in that moment, he takes that woman. It starts with a look. One look. A look that stayed in his mind. A tattooed memory with an image. He kept that. Well, she sends word, I'm pregnant. So he tries to get the husband to come home from the front lines and sleep with her to cover his sin. The man's too principled for that. So David sends him back and has him killed so he can marry the widow. Well, here's the problem. Here's where it all started unraveling for David. God told him through the prophet of God, Nathan, the baby's not going to live. David cared enough about that, he fasted and prayed until they were worried about him because he, he wasn't eating. And when they brought the word, when they when the baby died and they were going to bring word to him, uh, they were afraid to tell him because they thought, well, you know, if he's acting like this with the baby alive, what's he going to do when the baby died? But when they came to him, told him the news, he got up and washed himself and got something to eat. And they said, well, what are you doing? He said, well, while the baby was alive, who knew if God would be merciful and spare his life? But now that he's gone, I can go to him. He can't come to me. But there's so many other stories of, of things that happened in the man's life, in the family of the man who was a man after God's own heart. And it's not the only wrong thing he ever did in his life. But it all started with a look. It all went downhill. Then he had to cover it, and he had had murder take place, and then he loses a child, and then he has one son by one woman rape uh, the daughter, his daughter from another woman, and then that man had to be. It was David's life was far from ideal, to say the least, and it all started with a look. How much should it challenge us? So again. Even a man after God's own heart is vulnerable to eyes that are not disciplined. Vulnerable to the consequences of eyes that are not disciplined. The question is, with the number of wives that David had, 
I asked this already, but I'm asking again. What did David need or want this woman for? Could it be because his army was engaged in battle and David was not with him? David was a warrior, but he was idle. Spiritual idleness. I don't care who you are and how much you love God. Spiritual idleness will get you every time. David must have been miserable. He was feeling empty. He was feeling uninvolved. I believe that this very likely is what could have opened the door for him to allow his eyes to wander. And when his eyes wandering, his heart wandered. David's eyes wandering resulted in him wandering from God's word. This should be a warning to every believer. Those who are involved spiritually are more susceptible to sinning. Excuse me. Those who are uninvolved spiritually are more susceptible to sinning because they are they are more desperate to fill the void in their lives created by their spiritual idleness. Just coming to church, just being a part of good church services, it just doesn't do it. It's not enough. It's not enough. We need to have this relationship with God every day so it can satisfy our soul, so our the Bible says the eye is not satisfied with seeing and the ear is not satisfied with hearing. So we've got to find our satisfaction some other way than through seeing and hearing and the negative consequences that an unsatisfied eye will cause by its wandering. <sighs> this desperation opens up the idol, the spiritually idol, to the temptation introduced to them by wandering eyes. And by not having a discipline that's produced by a covenant. Let's just read some scripture that talks about what happens when your eyes behold a your eyes are allowed to wander and you look on up on look look upon women who or look upon men, women looking upon men that are not people of God that are not going to help you to be faithful to God. Proverbs 23, verses 31 through 33 says, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. But at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. So he's saying, you shouldn't drink stuff that's going to you know what they call hard liquor is spirits. I never had any, but I know that terminology, and some of you have experienced the terminology. So the wise man Solomon is writing here and says, when you when you when you get uh, when you come under the influence of spirits or the under influence of alcohol, uh, you you don't have the ability to restrain your eyes, and so you you'll look upon. A strange woman. What's a strange woman? Not a, a, a physical freak. That's not what it's talking about. But a woman who is conducting herself and dressing herself in a way that she's obviously estranged from God. She is not a part of the household of God. And so you lust after her because that's her her MO. And she's wanting you to look. And whether she's selling herself or giving herself away for her own lust's sake, who knows? Well, that goes the same way with, with women looking at men. It's the same way. 
it's even more so in this day and time because with all the liberation of women, <laughs> women are trying to act like men when it comes to sexual things, and they're, they are trying to be the predator, and uh, they're, they're trying to do the seducing instead of the man being the predator or the aggressor and him being the seducer. It's the same thing. It goes both ways. Let's go farther with this then. Uh, starts with Proverbs 6.23, and I'm going to read a while. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light and reproofs of instruction the way of life. So here's life. Here's how to have life. You let the commandment be the lamp to guide you. The law is your light from that lamp. And the reproofs of the law uh, produce life. What do they do? See the colon at the end of the word life? That means that's not the end of that sentence. So what they do is they to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. How in the world is that possible? By looking at her. With the eyes, looking at her. For by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Now, I have experienced good friends of mine who were truly men of God, who allowed themselves to become victims of a predator. The adulteress isn't looking for uh, the common Joe Blow. She's looking for somebody she can take down. Men of power, spiritual men, men of, uh, of renown, so to speak, whether naturally or spiritually. That's, that's that spirit. It's not the woman that's the problem. It's the spirit she's fellowshipping with, and it's after the precious life. And listen to what else it says. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon or walk upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth to his neighbor's wife, in to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Men do not despise a thief if he steal to satisfy his soul when he's hungry. But if he be found, he shall restore sevenfold. He shall give all the substance of his house. But whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. We're not talking about natural intelligence here. He has no spiritual understanding. He that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. What does that mean? Well, of course, God can forgive. But people don't forgive or forget. Even in the church, they don't forgive or forget. And so when we live that way, you know, this is, this is the thing. Even, even though God forgave David of his sin, David's actions brought a shame and a reproach upon his house that had consequences for generations. In fact, David's story of committing adultery with uh, uh, Delilah, uh, that's Samson Delilah, isn't it? It's uh, Bathsheba, there it is, uh, it's told almost as much as his story of destroying Goliath. Why? Because these stories are important for us to understand. Uh, it, it, it started with just a look, but it ends in a tragedy. 
It started with a look, but it ends in a tragedy. Sadly to say, it's not just the looker, the one who looked, who is wounded by the consequences of his just looking and all that follows. Everyone who loves him, believes in him, and trusts him is wounded also. And the family of the woman involved, or the family of the man involved for the woman who commits adultery. Everybody is affected by these actions. Everybody. And every bit of it started with a look that turned into lust because I let the image turn into thoughts and imaginations and then all of that eventually produces action. I had a dream. It's been a week or so ago. It was a very disturbing dream. Uh, I've very rarely ever been more happy about waking up in my life than I was that morning. In this dream, I, uh, uh, in the dream, I was the person and uh, we were, I was a pastor and we were building a church building and there were some other men and I think they were friends who were also pastors and we were laughing and talking and joking around. And I don't know if she was a secretary or a, a construction assistant or whatever. She walked out of her office into the hallway where the three of us were standing and talking. That was my church. I was the pastor of that church. These two other guys, which were pastors someplace else, were laughing and talking and joking. We were friends, longtime friends. One of them dares, just out of the clear blue, one of them dares the other one to kiss this woman on her mouth. Well, before that happened, uh, before I knew what was happening, the one took the dare and just pecked her on the cheek, on the, on the lips. And then he turned to his friend and said, I dare you. So the other one just uh, pecked her on the lips. Well, then they both turned and looked at me and said, we dare you. Now, in this dream, I was aware of the fact I had never, ever had any inappropriate thoughts toward this woman ever. We worked together. I was a pastor. She was some person on the staff. I don't know if she was my secretary or just an administrative assistant there for the entire church or what. I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. When I pecked her on the lips, something came all over me. Totally unexpected. And uh, she kept on walking down the hall. Well, all of a sudden, I'm consumed with doing more. And I hadn't even been having these thoughts. And so, in a little while, she walks back into her office. Well, I'm waiting in her office for her. And I said, that wasn't really a kiss. Let me show you a kiss. And I put my arms around her and pulled her up close. She didn't resist. 
and we kissed. And it got hot and heavy really, really quickly. And something took over me. Now I'm burning up. Well, I realized that we needed to break off right there. And we did. But from that moment in this dream, I was consumed with trying to find a way to consummate what had started. And uh, as the one doing the dreaming in the dream, I'm, I'm uh, somewhere way in the back of my consciousness as I'm dreaming, I'm screaming at myself. You can't do this. Stop this. But the the person I was in this dream was absolutely consumed. Couldn't think of anything else. All kind of scenarios going through the mind, trying to figure out how that this could this thing could be consummated without being caught. That was the only restraint. I don't want to be caught. Don't want to be caught. Don't want to be caught. But, you know, I want, I, what, what had a hold of me wanted to consummate this thing. I just had to wait till I could find out how to do it and not be caught. And somehow I knew that she would be a willing participant. It wasn't going to be a problem. Not her response to me. So I don't know if she'd ever had any thoughts about me, but I had in this dream, I'd never had any of these kind of thoughts about her at all. But one little pick on the lips started a fire, and then the next kiss was not a peck on the lips, and it didn't expand the fire. I got engulfed by the flame. It took over my mind and everything. And thankfully before God, before any of this could happen, I woke up. I woke up, (laughs) and... And I began to pray and say, God, what is wrong with me? God, forgive me. And he stopped me and said, this dream was not about you. I was trying to show you someone who needs you, needs you to pray for them. And I began to ask God, who is this? Who is this man? Now, that's as far as I'm going with that story. But I'm saying to you, What I'm talking to you about right now is real to me in the sense that in a dream, thankfully, I never experienced the consummation of it. But whatever that was that came over me in that dream, it was real in that dream. It was real. And part of me knew this, you got to stop this, you got to stop this, but I didn't want to stop it. I wanted to see that thing through. I needed to consummate that thing. And when I woke up and realized that there are people, male and female, who have allowed themselves to be put in situations where that kind of thing took over them, I feel really sorry for them because I I don't know what the end, end of that thing would have been if Well, thankfully, the Lord wasn't going to let that go the rest of the way because he's the one that woke me up. Thank you. Thankfully, thankfully, thankfully. So I'm saying to you, this started with something innocent. 
innocent. There are consequences, far-reaching consequences, to the perpetrator and the victim, even if the victim is a willing participant. It affects both of them. It affects their walk with God. It affects their families. It affects everybody that's ever had any confidence in them. I'll say it to, to you again. Everyone who's ever loved either one of them, everyone who's ever believed in either one of them, everyone who trusts either one of them is wounded, and that's a wound that almost never, ever gets healed. So in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I had no plans to tell this dream, and yet I'm here and the Holy Ghost spoke to me to do that. I'm saying to you, please, please, there is no such thing as an innocent look that looks the second time. The first look, innocent. Didn't choose to do that, it's innocent. The second look opens a door, if I'm not absolutely careful, it opens a door that becomes the first step toward fantasy. And I'll either fantasize about that in my spirit, which puts a major roadblock between me and God, or I'll fantasize it to the point that I try to act on it with somebody. And it starts with a look. In Jesus' name, I pray that the Lord would help every one of his people today who are in this trap, this prison of lust, that they're in despair, they don't know how to get out of, and one moment they want out, the next minute they don't, because when that lust comes, it compels them. In Jesus' name, I command that you allow the Lord to make, to set you free from this so that you do not fall into this and hurt yourself, and hurt the kingdom of God, and hurt your family, and hurt everybody that has a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, God bless you.